Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you guys on this very bright Sunday morning. If you guys ever wondered what it would be like to go to church at 8 a.m., wonder no more. This is what it feels like right here. I am still waking up. I'm still waking up this morning. My poor kids. My wife had some stuff to do at the church earlier, and I was the one to get the kids around and ready. So I let them, like a good dad, sleep in. Well, then I'm rushing them around. Finish your breakfast fast. Poor girls didn't get their hair done. I didn't even take the stuff to church. They're going to just look like that all day. It's going to be great. Going to be great. All right. Um, you know, really, that, that whole uh, Romans 8 in real life, I don't know how much... I haven't been excited about this type of an event more than... I, I'm really excited about that. And I feel like every single one of you guys should go. I would love to see them move their... their uh, where they're doing it, they're doing it in the cafe. I'd love to see them move it up because there's so many people there. So really, if, you, if you're free that night, or actually not if you're free, make that, free, make that night free and then show up. It is going to be really good for us to get a, a global understanding of our faith, but to hear from somebody who's been living it, somebody who's been persecuted, somebody who's been hurt, someone who you can actually see the scars on them. Really, really. So I just want to put that out there. I am really excited about it. Um, I, I will be showing up, and there are very few things that go down to near North for in the middle of the week, and I will be showing up. Um, all right, let's go ahead and read our passage today. We're in Romans chapter 8. In chapter 8, it's 944 in the Blue Bibles, uh, page 944. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're starting in verse 18, we're going to go down to verse 30. And I'm going to read this for us and in its entirety. There's something about sitting in God's Word and being able to read it fully. Um, to, to understand and see how it's all being connected. Now, before I go through this, before I preach, there's so much in this passage that I'm going to leave some, and it's intentionally leaving it, because we're going to pick up some of these threads in Romans chapter 9. So, so there are some things you might leave and you go like, man, but he left this out. Yes, I did. I know. I know I left it out, because there's so much in this, and we're going to be picking that up as we move through the rest of the book of Romans. All right, now that you found it, Romans chapter 9. Sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glories that is to be revealed to us. For the creation was waiting with eager longing for the revelation, um, for the revealing, sorry, of the sons of God. It still feels like 8 a.m., For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among all brothers. 
And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Such a powerful passage. So much in this passage. But what I like about this, what I like about Paul, is he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. Kind of reminds me of Sesame Street. Sesame Street goes through some pretty, pretty thick stuff. This is a triangle. This is a red. This is yellow. But they're not getting into all the details of it. They're helping us get an overview, uh, something that's very foundational. And, and here Paul is going to something that's incredibly foundational. You can't get any simpler than this. You can't get simpler than groaning. Groaning. Life is going to make you groan. What made you groan last week? I can list off a whole ton of stuff that made me groan last week. I'm getting older. I'm groaning when I wake up. Emotionally, I groan as I see things happening in my marriage. I groan when I'm parenting my children. It doesn't matter if they're the young ones or the older ones. I still groan. Such a foundational thing. Maybe it's the last straw and you, you groan. We all groan through life. Maybe it's in sickness. Maybe you wake up and you got the sniffles and you go, ugh. We all groan. Talk about simplicity. I think Paul nailed it here to say, do you know what? Here's some really deep stuff, but I know that it's going to be hard to get. So let me frame it in the whole understanding of groaning. See, suffering is a road to God's promised glory. Suffering is a road to God's promised glory. We all groan towards God's promise. That's what he's saying. We're all groaning to God's promise. See, there's a lot of different reasons why we sin. Sometimes we sin, sometimes we, we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes we, we suffer and we're, we're in difficulty and we groan because of the things that we've done or because of what other people have done to us. But sometimes we suffer because of our faith in Jesus Christ. People don't like that. And, and we might suffer in some areas when we have to take a stand for Christ. So there's some suffering in that. But, but I believe the suffering that he's talking about here is just part of being a broken world. That's the suffering, that's the difficulty, that's the groaning that makes us groan in life. We, we groan. It's the second law of thermodynamics. I know it's early. It, it, that's what it is. That there's chaos in the world and that things can't be expected to get better. And so there's this groaning as we engage in this broken world around us. So in our message this morning, we're going to look at three groans that we find in the passage. Really simple. Let me go and pray. Father, as we go into your word, would we pause and let the Spirit work? Would we pause and know that you have something for us this morning? Would we be able to pause even for a moment in our groaning? Take away the distractions, all the different things that would keep us from hearing your word, from hearing your voice. And God, I pray for myself this morning that 
as I'm here and it still feels like I'm waking up, God, I pray, I pray that, that you would use my words to encourage, to strengthen, um, to help us know that our groans aren't futile. But in our groaning, we start walking to your promises, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so he starts off in verse 18 with this one kind of big push. He, he, he kind of is laying out in front of us what he's going to be talking about, and then he starts to break it down. That the suffering that we go through today, you can't even compare it with what we're going to see in the future in his glory. We, we, it's not even on the same page. So that's what he's going to say, but then he starts to break it down from there. He starts to say, you know what, but there, there is some of these things. There are some of these groanings that we see, and the first one that we see is between verses 19 and 22, and that's that all creation is groaning. See, creation here is personified. Creation is given a human attribute. Creation is given something that only humans are able to do, that, that creation is, is groaning. See, it's not uncommon for the readers. It's not uncommon necessarily for us. I mean, Isaiah 52, 12 talks about the mountains and the hills before us shall break forth in singing. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I mean, he's personifying. He's bringing out something that's very normal, very natural, giving creation human attributes, something that they're going to be doing. And we do that in poetry all the times. So we, we do talk about various things, that, that we give them human attributes so we can have some kind of connection with them. And, and here he's personifying creation, saying that creation is groaning and that it's Subject to futility, in verse 20 it says that. Subject to futility. A lot of other translations translate that word as frustration or vanity or God's curse or confused. They've lost its purpose. It's being held back. A lot of different ways to translate what's happening here in this verse. And, and actually, when you're studying, when you're going through the Word of God and you see that one word is being translated many different ways throughout different translations, pause and look at it. Because it means that there's a lot of ways to understand that word. It probably means that there aren't very many times that the word is used in the Bible. And so here, uh, the translators are trying to make sense of how, what does this all mean. But, but that's why there's all these various things. And it gives us a really good landscape of what it means that the creation is subject to futility. And, and this, this voice that it's using, the, the verb itself, is, is pointing back to a single occasion. It's kind of saying that, that there's something that is subjected to. It's subjected to futility, but it's subjected in the past, one moment in time when it all started being subjected to this. See, all creation is affected by Adam's sin. Oh, we walk around with the sin. We walk around with the problems. We walk around with this. But, but here even creation itself is being hurt by sin. In Genesis 3.17, when God is giving the curses to the serpent, to the woman, and, and also to the man, this is what he says as he approaches man. And to Adam, he, God, said, because you have eaten of the tree which, is, um, which I commanded you, not, uh, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is a ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He, he's pointing to that here, right here, very, very clearly that even the earth, creation, is being subjected to this. Not, not willingly. They didn't raise their hand and say, us too. But they're being subjected because of the brokenness. So what does it mean that it's being subjected to futility? 
It's not doing what it was supposed to do. What it was created for, it's not, not doing that. So that begs the question, well, what was it meant to do? What was it supposed to do? What was creation supposed to do? What well, points to God's glory, points to his might, points to his beauty. And while we still have glimpses, while we still have opportunities to see, I have a small window I can look through and see the sunrise. And every opportunity I have, I look out and I look back out again and I look out and it, and it declares the glory of God. That's what Psalm says. But even then, it's not the full glory of God. It's not his full majesty. It's been broken. It's been tainted. It's not to the fullest because when we stop and we want to see what a glimpse or what a picture is of God's glory and God's created order and, and the way that he made these things, we can, we can sort of stop and we can see with Isaiah what he's pointing to, where he's going to take us. Isaiah eleven six says that in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And catch this last part. And the little child will lead them all. He's using these creative things that this is a world in which God created and in the brokenness, there's a brokenness, but, but it's all going to be redeemed. It's all going to be brought to reflect him and his glory with much greater glory than we can see right now. been subjected to futility but then we also see that this groaning is purposeful groaning it says that it's groaning in the pains of childbirth again that takes us right back to genesis 3 where the curses are being given out the pain of childbearing here, John Calvin says, one of the reformers says this, that he's undergoing, the earth is undergoing not death pains, but birth pains. What a beautiful analogy. See, there's a, such a thing called a death rattle. That's not what he's talking about here. It's not the last breaths of someone who's trying to muster up all their energy to keep the air in their lungs. He's talking about a groaning that's going to give birth to something, something completely new. That's what he's talking about here. There's purpose in this groaning. It's a freedom of the children of God, anticipating, looking forward to this day. In this sense, God's promise is unleashed and freed to overwhelm the creation. Now, the earth has seen this type of glory before. In John, when, when John is describing Jesus, he says that we have seen his glory in John 1.14. And creation saw this glory of this one born. And while I wish I could go to the New Testament and say, yeah, and look at this, all these things started happening. It was the most amazing sunrise ever on that day he was born. And it was the greatest sunset. And, and all of the trees were like really blocked. And none of that happened. It's not in the Word of God. But we, we do see something where, where his glory is being reflected in the creation as the star is pointing for the wise men to find Christ. It's, it's moving into a place to declare the glory of God. Creation is seeing this glory and it eagerly longs. It eagerly longs for that day. 
It wants that day to come. It wants it to be now. But just as creation eagerly longs, that's the way we should long for that day. It actually connects it to the next part, and it talks about us eagerly groaning and longing as well. But, but the way the creation longs for it, we have to be reminded that this is not our home. We are not here on earth because this is the space that we're supposed to be forever. We're, we're just passing through. Our home is not here. We weren't meant just for this. There's so much more that's in stake for us. The greatest way that I remember this being explained to me, it's kind of like going to a hotel room. You don't go to a hotel room and start switching out the pictures on the wall and switch out the mattress and switch out the window coverings. You, you're not trying to make the hotel room comfortable. You know you're only there for a night. You're only there for a moment. You're only there for a little bit. It's going to satisfy your need of rest and sleep or whatever, but, but it's only there for a moment. You don't go through and change everything to make it comfortable for yourself. And just in that same way, friends, we don't make this world comfortable just for us. It's not just for us to sit down and to make everything just right, to get everything put in place because we start to build our own kingdom, but what we need to be doing is building the kingdom of God because this is not our home. This is not where we're supposed to be but only for a moment. For this passing moment, would we long eagerly for the day when Christ would, be, would, would come back and redeem us? Would we eagerly await that day as creation awaits that day? So creation groans. Then we also find that we groan. Christians groan. Sometimes we think that we as Christians should never groan. And yet here it's saying we groan. Christians groan as the first fruit of the Spirit. Verse 23. The first fruit of the Spirit. I think about first fruit so often in the Old Testament. First fruit was something that we would give to God, that the people of God would give to Him as a beginning part of their harvest season. It was the first part that, that would come in. They would give it to, give it to Him. But, but what there was was a longing that there would be more fruit after that for them. So you'd give God the first and then you'd expect more harvest for yourself and for your family. And here Paul kind of changes that language and instead of saying this is something you give to God, God is actually giving something to you and he's giving the spirit to you as a first fruit. But you should know that there's more that's coming, that, 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 that's, not just the, that that's just the beginning, that there's more that is in store for us. And we can sit here and go, wow, the Holy Spirit is enough. And that is amazing. And, and that's all. But, but there's more to it than just that. He's the first fruit. He is the beginning. There is more for us. He is the foretaste of what is to come. He's the appetizer to the dinner. He's just the beginning. There's a lot more that's coming our way. Leon Morris, a uh, theologian, and he wrote several commentaries, but he says this about this part. What we have now is real, but is not the whole. And our foretaste leads us to look forward with eager longing to the completion of what God has already begun in us. It's just the beginning. There is more to come, and we should be eagerly awaiting that more. More. 
In a sense, it's because we have the Holy Spirit that we do groan. Because we know that more is waiting for us. We see everything around us and we say it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we groan with this anticipation. We groan because there's more for us. It says that we groan inwardly. We, we groan inside of us because we await for the adoption. When I think about this term of, of, of groaning inwardly, it reminds me of this pastor's retreat we went on. Because uh, I hadn't been in the back of a minivan in a long time. And, uh, and I had worked out, and I had never run on hills. Well, it's been a long time since I've run on hills. And so I'd sit in the back, and every time I'd get out, I would groan inwardly. I, I didn't want people to know that I was hurting, and that it struggled every single time I tried to get out the van. I mean, Dan was there. He probably followed me or he went in front of me. He, he probably saw the discomfort of trying to get out of the back of a minivan. This inward groaning inside of us. But here it's pointing towards this fullness of being adopted as sons of God. Now, verse 15 last week starts to highlight some of these things. It starts to bring it out for us. For you did not uh, receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Joel preached on that last week. And he's pointing back to this. He's kind of giving this, this idea of adoption. And, and while it's saying, yes, we are adopted, that is true, we have been adopted, but our adoption, there's so much more to our adoption. There's so much more in play for our adoption. It's not fully here yet. No, there's more to come in our adoption See, this, this inward longing is an inner attitude of frustration to the more physical brokenness and sickness that we live in. Longing for the end of the world as we know it. Longing to see Christ in all of His glory. Longing that we don't have to go through all the same things that we go through day after day after day. Because we know there's something better. Points our eyes ahead. 2 Corinthians 5.2 picks up on the same idea. For in this tent, this body, this temporary body, we, there's a word, groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwellings permanent. We're longing for this end. We're longing for something else. We're longing that it's not just here, this temporary place for us to live but to be in a dwelling place. And that leads us then to hope. Verses 24 through 25 starts to explain all this idea of hope and saying that our salvation is characterized by hope, that yes, we are saved and our salvation is sure, but there's still a hope, there's still an end of which the salvation will be worked out in us. And hope is really only hope if you don't see it. It's like knowing that spring is coming in the midst of winter. It's like seeing the buds on the tree not fully opened up, but knowing that one day they're going to burst forth with life again. You don't see this, but you, but you await it. You know it's coming. And you wait for it patiently. And that's his word for us. He's saying you, you wait for it with patience. 
And that word patience is a military word. It's not a, a lackadaisical, I'm just going to sit back and be patient doing nothing. It's an active, I'm going to be patient as I go out and fight. I know the war is over. I know the war is won, but I'm still slinging my sword. I'm still actively engaged. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm going after it. I'm having this confidence in the battle. Do we have a patient confidence in our hope of redemption? Are we actively fighting against the, the enemies of our own souls? Sin, Satan, and self, are we actively pointing out these things in our life? Are we in community of people around us that can point these things in our life and help us walk through these in victory? Are we actively doing these things? Or are we just kind of sitting back and saying, oh, I'm good. I know God won the victory. I know we're, we're finished. It's this patience that's closed with action. Of this active patience as we groan in this life, knowing there's more to it than just the suffering. So creation groans. We as Christians groan. The very last little bit is that the Holy Spirit groans. He says that in our weakness, we don't know how to pray, but we have a helper. We have somebody who helps us in our weakness. Verse 26 going forward. We are weak in our suffering and in our groaning. That is a truth, each one of us. We are weak. But then he points it to something else in our life. We don't even know how to pray. We don't don't even know how to pray how we ought to pray. This reminds me, I'm putting my parenting hat on, it reminds me of uh, my kids sometimes. Mom, Dad, I am so hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Can I please have Skittles and Flaming Hot Cheetos? That's the type of prayers we throw up to God. We don't even know how we're supposed to pray in the midst of our suffering. All we have is these groans that are coming out. We're asking for things that aren't really going to benefit us, that aren't going to take away the hunger. It sees that the Holy Spirit intercedes and groans too deep for words. Intercession is a prayer that pleads with God, takes hold of His will, takes hold of His promise, and holds on to it. It's like Jacob when he's wrestling with God, I'm not going to let you go until I receive your blessing. It's, 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 It's warfare. It's hard. It's intense. It takes time. You see the Holy Spirit doing this on our behalf. He's, in a sense, taking our groans and making them His groans and taking them to the Father. What a beautiful place. Next time you groan, know that the Spirit is taking your groan and He's taking it to the Father on your behalf. He's going to war for you. Spirit takes those groans for the saints. Praise for the saints. Specific prayers for every follower of Christ. This is personal. This isn't a catch-all phrase. So often I throw up catch-all phrases to God. Would you be with all the little children? It's just a catch-all. Throw it up. Here's very specific. Very specific. 
for the saints. It should be encouraging to us. You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't just have the church around you. You have the Holy Spirit with you at all moments. Paying attention to your groans. Listening. Praise for the saints according to the will of God. I pray that my will would be done on earth as it is in my mind. That's the way I pray. But here we see that he's saying, no, he knows the will of God. He knows what God wants for you. He knows what's best for you. He knows that Skittles aren't going to satisfy your burning hunger. He pleads with God on your behalf according to God's will. And we can be thankful to the Spirit who prays for us. When you grieve, when you worry, when you fear, when you have anxiety, when you don't have words enough to even say, the only thing that can come out of your mouth is, ugh. The Holy Spirit goes before the Father and He hears your groans. It makes me think of Exodus where the people of Israel subjected to hard work and labor Exodus 3, 7 through 8 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. I have come down to deliver them. And it sent his angels I have come down to deliver them. Here's all this groaning and hard work and toil and fear and frustration because the system is too big and overpowering and overwhelming. God hears and God shows up. That's the way it is with us. God hears and God shows up. And then we get to verse 28. 28, a verse that we have all heard for a long time that we could even quote. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For our good and for God's glory. This is a final goodness. This is defined by God, goodness defined by God, not, not me. I'm not defining goodness. You, you aren't defining goodness. God is defining goodness. This is like a Joseph type of goodness, which you meant for evil. God has turned into good, and all these people are now alive today because of God's goodness. This is the type of goodness that happens in our lives. This is the type of goodness that we can expect from God and when our groans are deep and our groans are, are hard and our groans are fought and our groans don't go away and our groans last for weeks and our groans last for months and our groans last for years, what we are groaning under, God is redeeming. 
And I only want to point out the last thing in verse 29. There's so many pieces in there. That's what we're going to be touching on in much more depth in chapter 9. But in verse 29, he goes through this list for known, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Because he's getting us to that glorified peace. And what we see in these, in these words is that they're all past tense. They all have happened. And yet, we're not glorified yet. But, but what a lot of people would say is happening here is that this glorification is something, yes, to come. But it's as good as if it already did happen. That's why it's in the past tense. That's why we can be secure. That's why we can be satisfied with saying that it has already happened. It is sure. You can take it to the bank. Because suffering is a road to God's promised glory. And Jesus walked that road of suffering as he went to the cross. And we are not living more than he suffered. We copy him, him in his suffering that we should also share in his glory. We walk down this path of suffering as Jesus walked down the path of his suffering for the good of everyone. Friends, would we suffer well? As we suffer, would people see our suffering? Would people see us as we groan? And we groan not with those that don't have hope, but would we groan as those who have a hope, a living hope? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this passage. Thank you for uh, the church in Rome that had questions that needed some direction because you knew that we need that same direction today. That we can be encouraged and strengthened Uh, by this letter. Father, I pray even as we groan this week, would we remember that we're not the only ones groaning. Creation is groaning. The Holy Spirit is groaning. And it's being taken to the Father. Would your Spirit work in our hearts to catch us as we groan? Would we groan out loud? And would we groan knowing that you have everything in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen.